Hey there. It's so great to have you here with us today. One Chapel is a family of neighborhood churches in Lake Travis, and we help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. You can learn more about the things God is doing in this community and how to get involved at onechapel.com. I hope you enjoy this week's message from our Who Am I series. So, you know, we're in a series, and two weeks ago, Pastor Russ was talking about Moses and who am I when I think I don't measure up. Since Moses had probably the most profound experience in the Bible, he had a burning bush experience, right? And even though God himself came down and wowed him with fire in a bush and called him into something, he still thought, I can't do that. Right? He argued with God about who he was. I don't know anybody else who does that, right? <laughs> but even God Almighty was telling him, no, you can't do it. I'll put the words in your mouth. You can do that. And he's like, no, I don't measure up. I stutter. I can't do it. And isn't God kind that even when he knows we have it in us, but we aren't quite sure we have it in us, and even though God comes and tells us, he still brings us friends to come alongside. And he brought his brother, Aaron, to come alongside him and help him move forward in his destiny, right? Yeah, we want to measure ourselves to what God says we are, not what we think we are. And then last week, Logan came, right? And he was talking about comparison, Who am I when I'm compared to others? And it was a game he said that you cannot win, right? Comparison steals the joy. Comparison takes you. I mean, he talked about David and Jonathan and Saul. Comparison takes Saul and makes him uh, fearful, angry, and jealous of David. Comparison totally stole his joy in his mind, right? He lost a whole kingdom. And yet his son, Jonathan, who could have done the very same thing, had a completely different reaction. Jonathan knew who he was, and he could celebrate David. So instead of comparison, stealing the joy, he found a way to celebrate. And Jonathan and David became divine relationships for life, right? So today we're talking about who am I when I feel alone. And you can get your notes out. Anyways, I've had kind of a lifelong journey with aloneness. I imagine every single one of you, in fact, I know each one of you have. Aloneness is something we all face, right? We all face aloneness. My first experience with aloneness, though, was actually good. I was raised in Hawaii, and between uh, birth and nine years old, I had an amazing childhood. And I had an amazing childhood in that I didn't know God, in that I didn't know Jesus. I had never really heard the word. I didn't know the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. I hadn't been to church, didn't know what a Bible was, knew nothing. But I could go and climb, and I can just see it right now. I could climb a shower tree in my front yard, rainbow shower tree, and look up, and I could see just the sky through the leaves, you know, And I could go to the um, coral reef that was about a block and away from my house and swim as a little girl and open your eye. You can open your eyes in the ocean there and just look. And my favorite fish was the humuhumu nuku nuku apo a'a. And I can still say it and I can recognize it and and I love them. (laughs) But it's just so when you look at God's creation, it wows you. And um, I... I remember I would go to Waikiki Beach on Friday nights with my dad, and we would have a cookout with my family, and we would watch the sunset. And then our thing we did every week was we would lay down uh, in the sand, and after the sunset, we'd look up to see who could see the first star in the sky. 
And then the constellations would come out. My dad would tell me about them. And it was just this fabulous experience. And then the sand cleaning machine came. <laughs> and when you're a kid, the sand cleaning machine is like the coolest thing ever. And, it, you know, and, and thankfully, my mom and dad knew that was always their cue. Time to go to bed, kids. <laughs> Time to go home. And, but I just want to say that when I was alone in creation, I knew the presence of God. And I knew that as a child. And I still seek that out. And there's a scripture about it, Romans 1.20. Romans 1.20 says, that For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So creation declares the glory of God. And I felt it, even though I couldn't put it into words. Anyway, in preparing for today's message about aloneness, I had some specific childhood stories because after the age nine, things kind of cratered pretty significantly with my parents' divorce. And I identify with aloneness in a pretty traumatic way, right? But he didn't want me to talk about that. But I had written all about it. And on Thursday morning, I came in here and I'm like, he really wants me to share a vulnerable story with you today about aloneness, which is how I arrived at One Chapel in my first 18 months here. But there was one part, the part I just shared, about Hawaii and my good experience that I felt like I was supposed to leave in. So I was in my office, and I had just deleted the section <laughs> that was already there, putting it back in the other, and I had just been writing about Hawaii. And Grace Simpson walks in with a present for me, and it's wrapped up in a Hawaiian bag. And she said, I just thought of you. I saw a post you had about Hawaii and growing up there, and I brought you something. And I'm like, no way. You know, she has no idea. So she brings me this book, and um, there's a picture of the cover, I think. Yeah. It's a book written by a doctor who has page after page of pictures that show the attributes and glory of God. I'm like, I just wrote about that. I really think that he wanted me to tell you that this morning. But maybe some of you actually just, you know, it is like the Lord's heart to take a bunny rabbit trail that's not a bunny rabbit trail. It's his trail. He likes trails. He likes the trails here in Austin. And he likes to reveal himself to you in nature. He speaks. He holds everything together by his word. And there's a living creation that declares the glory of God that when you don't even know what to do, you can find yourself in. So, Grace, it was so encouraging to me <laughs> that you did that. And so I just wanted you to know that 40 years later, I was really excited to move to Austin because I could be outside again in a way that I hadn't. Now, I had been living in what most Texans consider the promised land where Texas A&M University is in Aggie land. I knew I was going to get some whoops. Yes, so I was in the promised land, and, <laughs> and my family and I, we were called there to build a church. And uh, we had poured ourselves out building a church and a campus ministry. We had lived there for eight years, and interestingly enough, at that mark, we took my first trip back to Hawaii since I was a child. And in Hawaii... We had an experience of being at a, at a um, bed and breakfast that was run by a, an intercessor, of all things. 
who in the middle of our vacation said, hey, I know you're pastors and you probably don't want to go to church. But, (laughs) and I thought, you know, she's right. I don't want to. I just want to sit on the beach this week. But she said, but they're doing this prophetic ministry at our church tonight. And I thought since it's your anniversary, maybe you might want to go. And I looked at my husband and I'm like, I don't want to go, but I know we're going. And and sure enough, we did. And you know what happened? They got called up out of a crowd. And this, this gentleman prophesied over us, total strangers, for 20 minutes. And when I walked out of there, we knew we were moving to Austin. Interesting how Hawaii tied back in again, huh? But I knew we were moving here. And, and so we did it. And then six weeks later, the Lord raised up someone else. It was just this confirmation after confirmation. Somebody else took over our church, our household immediately. It was like, Lord, you can stop this train at any moment. <laughs> He's like, full speed ahead. So we land here. And that's the part I want to tell you about. We landed here, and I didn't realize just how much we had poured ourselves out. I did not realize how empty I was. And I had given everything to birth something, and I'd given everything. And I didn't want to give unto emptiness, but I did. And I grieved when I was here. I really grieved the loss of relationship. I grieved the fact that I felt guilty that I'd left these people that I'd loved and mothered and all the relationships on campus, the work. I felt guilty. I I knew he did the right thing, but I still, I I grieved it. I grieved the loss of family because I left my son and uh, his uh, soon-to-be bride there and uh, my daughter and her husband, my grandchildren had left. I grieved the loss of family. I moved to a new home where there wasn't any family there. It was lonely. And I didn't have a job to keep me busy. So I had a lot of quiet. And I had a lot alone. And I wasn't very comfortable with it. I was also in shock. We had some traumatic events in our lives we did not expect. And they were real traumatic. And it was hard to wrap my head around the fact that I knew God was a good God. And I knew he was a good God. How did... How did this happen? I've given you everything, and I'm serving you, and I've laid down my life to do whatever you want me to do. How, how is that okay that this happened? Have you ever gone through that? And yet I had to sit with that and sit with him, and there was a lot of aloneness in it. And we also endured some unexpected, serious medical things. Uh, multiple surgeries, multiple um, doctor's visits every week, and things that were scary to face. And even my own, I had a series of things that I had to go through, um, procedures where painkillers, were sp- narcotics were supposed to make me not feel the pain, and they did not work on me. And so I w- it literally like tortured, right? Um, And I had a series of them. (laughs) So there you go. That's the storm that I was in when I was here. And my title was gone. My family was all over the place. I was alone. I knew there was a lesson in it. Who am I when I'm alone and it doesn't make sense and it hurts? 
And I knew I was his daughter. And even though I didn't understand it, and it was really painful, I knew he was good. And I swung back and forth, like trying to believe that and be in his word and do the things I knew I was supposed to do. And then my flesh found Netflix. Your flesh has found Netflix too, apparently. (laughs) I hadn't watched hardly any movies in eight years. And my flesh found Netflix, and I could just escape. (laughs) It wasn't good, but I was like in between these two places, tossed back and forth, like really wanting to be the person I knew I was and really hurting and wanting to escape, right? And this side doesn't help you get back to this side. It just draws you deeper and deeper in, right? I was just getting lost in Facebook, right? Looking at everybody else's happy lives. And really, like, what I needed was to have my face in this book and to open it up and see his face in this book. Like Moses, I needed to know who I was based on what God said, not what I was feeling or my inadequacies or my shame, all of those. So the need for a relationship must first be found in relationship with our God, right? That's the only real place to find our identity. And we're created to know and be known by him. We're created to walk with him in the garden, just like Adam and Eve, just like in my garden. We're created to walk with him, to talk with him. We're created to see him. We're created to imagine with him and to laugh with him, just like Adam and Eve. That's what we're created for. There's great joy and adventure and revelation in knowing God, and he truly satisfies So who am I when I'm alone, weak, broken, and lost? I am his beloved. I am his. I am his beloved one. And in my new house over in Briarcliff, I sought him. In my weakness and in my garden. But after years of ministry, I knew that it wasn't enough. I knew it wasn't good for me to be alone. It wasn't good for me to be alone. So let's look about how the Lord feels about aloneness. Let's look at some scriptures. They show how he feels about it, his emotions. He has emotions. Genesis 2.18 says, The Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. It is not good for man to be alone. You know he's talking to Adam. Adam had the best communicator and friend you could ever have, God. And yet God saw his need and cared. He knew it was not good for us to be alone, and he provided for him. He knows that we need divine relationship. We need divine relationship. We don't need just any relationships. We need divine ones. So let's look at um, one of my favorite verses and one of Adrian, our worship leader, um, his one of his favorite verses, Psalm 68, 5 and 6, shows another part of God's emotions towards us in relationship. It says, he is father to the fatherless, defender of widows, is God on his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. I kept thinking of that song, this is how I find my battles. This is how I fight my battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. 
We fight our battles together. He puts us in families. God has a plan. Let's look at another plan he has for his heart for our aloneness. And it's the plan that he said through Jethro to Moses. Jethro's Moses' father-in-law. And he was watching Moses lead a million Israelites. And he's like, I have something to tell you, Moses. Let's look at Exodus 18, 18. It says, you and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. And like Moses, we may not manage a million people, but we manage a million things, right? A million pieces of information, contacts, to-do lists, all your apps that you have to manage for your different jobs you do, and your calendar, and your reminders, and your texts to people. And ugh, Right? You can't handle it alone. And here's another promise that re- from Moses that reveals God's heart for aloneness. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, be strong and courageous. This is when Moses is telling the Israelites, you're going into the promised land, like the actual promised land, not Aggie land, right? The actual promised land. He tells them, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you and he will never leave you or forsake you. His heart for you feeling alone, right? So he says, you aren't ever alone. I won't ever leave you. You may not feel it sometimes. Your circumstances may think that he's not there. You may be battling to believe that he's there, but he is. He will not leave you or forsake you. It's truth. You can anchor in it. You can hope on it. You can base your life on it. He won't leave you or forsake you. That's who he is. It's his character, and it doesn't change. And that's how I walked into one chapel. I, wouldn't, I knew he wouldn't leave me or forsake me. I knew he was good even when I didn't understand my circumstances. I knew it was good for me to not be alone. And I needed family. And I'm, I'm so thankful. You know, Ru- Russ and Courtney, they love me. And they didn't put any responsibility on me. They didn't ask me to do anything. And I also told them, if I say yes to something, don't let me do it. <laughs> I need to not do things because I'm not very healthy right now. And, but they got me into a small group. They got me into Catalyst One. And I'm just telling you, I wanted to leave Catalyst One the first night. I knew I was supposed to be there. But it came time for small group and people were sharing. And I thought, if these people know like how I really feel inside, they are going to run. I'm so glad I didn't run. Because, like, line by line, everyone helped me. The Lord and people around me here helped me out of my miry pit. And I'm so thankful. I know she's not here this morning, but Jennifer Myers loved me when I was a mess. And she just gardened with me. She had lunch with me. And Van made me laugh. And they're just divine relationships to me because they love me in my weakness. And many of you love others in their weakness very well. And I really appreciate that because I have received that. So let's look at another story that shows God's heart for aloneness and his plan for families. We're going to look at the story of Ruth. We're going to look at um, starting in Ruth 1, 1 through 9. You follow along with me. 
Now it came to pass in the days when judges ruled. Now that means they've moved into the promised land, but King David hasn't been set up yet. So the judges ruled in that time. That there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, Bethlehem means house of bread, by the way, they went to dwell in the country of Moab. And Moab, by the way, is not the promised land. It's the land of false gods. Not a good place. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. And the name of his two sons were Machlon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab, and they remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. And they took wives of the women of Moab. One was Orpah, and the other one was named Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. But then both Machlon and Kilion died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. And you can let the weight of that sink in. Is that any story you might have connected to my story of what was going on? She faced much greater loss. Then she rose with her daughters-in-law that she might return to the country of Moab. For she had heard that in the country of Moab, the Lord had visited the, the people in Bethlehem by giving them bread. Therefore, she went out from that place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to the land of Judah. So they were on their way back. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, and you ha- as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. These sweet young ladies, these young widows, had dealt kindly with Naomi, who had lost her husband and her sons. Such great loss. And remember, Naomi had followed her husband. She had left her homeland of Bethlehem. She, she left all of her family. She went away to this country. She lost everything. And now without sons to bear the name of Elimelech, her husband, she had no way to go back and get back her land or her name or her status or anything. So Naomi um, has no other sons for them to marry. And the two daughters-in-law, one, Orpah, she kind of pushes back. She's like, no, I'll stay with you. But then she decides, no, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to her family, and she leaves. But Ruth, on the other hand, does something absolutely extraordinary. Look in Ruth 1, 16 through 17. This will be familiar to you because you'll think, well, that's from marriage. I hear that at wedding ceremonies. But no, these words came from a widowed daughter-in-law to her mother-in-law. And she says, entreat me not to leave you, which means don't make me leave you. Or turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. You, your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts you and me. Ruth clings to Naomi and to her God. That is not a small thing. We need people who will cling to us in the storms of life, right? We need people who aren't afraid to get into that boat with us and who know that the king who calms the storm in the boat, right? 
Do you have those people? I do have a handful like that. And sometimes I've really had to pray them in because I moved somewhere and I didn't have them. But God has always provided for me. We are created for divine relationships. We feel alone without them. And they shape our very identity and they are eternal relationships. So we need divine relationships. And I want you to see that Ruth makes a relational decision, not a logical decision. Naomi doesn't have anything to offer her. But Ruth makes a relational decision to stick with her and with her God, even though it doesn't make logical sense. She commits to Naomi and to her God. And the sacred and biblical way to divine relationships is through the body of Christ. We need each other. Like, we really need each other. They're not words. Like we need each other. We shape the identity. We bring out the very things that God has hidden in people's hearts. And we call forth their destiny by meeting with them and praying with them and taking them to a small group and eating a meal and laughing and gardening and being hiking and all those things. Our destiny is created out of this relationship with the body of Christ. Many only think church is like a consumer activity. What can you give me? But if you want divine relationships, you must invest in them. It's not what can you get. It's what can you give. And you don't necessarily give out of strength. Sometimes you're given out of the very least you have. So making relational decisions isn't always logical. And another divine relationship is getting ready to unfold in our story. And I love this part. This is the part about Boaz. So Ruth and Naomi, they return to Bethlehem, to the house of bread. And I find out that there is a great harvest going on. But mind you, they don't come in with carrying their camel, with their camels and all of their belongings. They come in in total need, basically homeless. And so they enter into the ancient welfare system of gleaning which meant that if you're a wealthy landowner and you have your fields, you let the harvesters go through one pass only. And everything that's left is for those in need. It's for the widowed. It's for those who um, are, have no money. It's for those who are hungry. They get to come and glean. So everybody gets fed. That's the process. So Naomi asked this young woman to go and glean in the field. And she does. But she's noticed. She's noticed by the field owner, who is a wealthy man of great means. He's an older gentleman, but he's already heard about Naomi's daughter-in-law. Her reputation has gone before her, and he notices her in the field. So let's look at Ruth 2, 11 and 12, and see what Boaz says to her. And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people who you did not know before. The Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wing you have come for refuge. And he receives her. 
And you, do you hear the spiritual blessing and like the invitation that he's sending out to her? So Boaz sees her for who she is. And it's very interesting. Boaz has his own story about a foreigner in his life. Because here, Ruth is a foreigner. She's a Moabitist. Most Jewish men would have nothing to do with them, and they're not supposed to. But this Moabitist is actually chosen to serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Boaz has a mother. You know her name. Her name was Rahab. Rahab was the Canaanite prostitute that helped Joshua at Jericho. And she and her family were the only ones who were saved because they helped Joshua and because they believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That was Boaz's mother. Did you know that? So Naomi is a good Jewish mother, and she sees a divine relationship in the works, right? She says, okay, this is what you need to do, Ruth. (laughs) I know how this works. So the harvest is coming, and this is what you need to do. So let's turn to Ruth 3, 7 through 10. After Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. So after the grain was collected, the owners would sleep there for the night to protect it. And she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself. And there, a woman was lying at his feet. He said, who are you? (laughs) When you say that too, who are you? And so she answered. I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. So Naomi didn't have any sons to carry on the name, but a kinsman redeemer or a close relative could buy back the property and marry the widow to redeem the whole family line so that the name could continue. That was Jewish tradition and law, that's how, you, that's how a family could continue. So she put herself in a place to go, you're one of the people who could do this. Would you do it? In a way that he understood. And then he said, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. So he receives her. But there's a problem. There's somebody else who's closer, who te- legally is the first person who has option to buy the land and marry the, marry the widow. So Boaz goes to him, and he's like, yeah, I'll do the land. I'll buy the property. But, and then Boaz says, but yeah, but you have to have Ruth. And the guy said, she's the Moabitess. There's no way. I won't do it. So Boaz gets to marry Ruth. And he gets the helper he needed. He was the businessman. He had all the provision. He had the way to help, to rescue, to reach in, right? Some of you are like that. You have the, met, you have the place to reach into others' lives and pull them out of where they are, to call forth their destiny and to practically help them, to spiritually, to emotionally help them. That's what you're like him to other people. He had that, and he married her. And he bore a son under the family name to carry on Elimelech's line. And his son's name was Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. Follow this. Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of King David. David was the great, 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 great of Jesus, who was born where? 
in a field in Bethlehem where the shepherds were. And the angels came to sing under the stars of the glory of God. Divine relationships impact our identity and our destiny and our legacy. And Jesus has a legacy here in you. And here at One Chapel, it's our desire to take people from where they are to where God wants them to be. And we have groups and catalysts and all sorts of opportunities so that you can experience this divine relationship. We're really intentional. We don't just do it to do it. And there's a relational harvest here for you to glean from, just like I did. And if you're not doing it already, don't be held back. Like, if I can do it, you can do it. So today, you know, maybe you are feeling a great loss like Naomi. Maybe you have a loss of a parent, a loved one, a child. Maybe you're shocked like I was by life circumstances and you're reeling going, I don't know how this happened. I don't know where you are, God. Maybe you're married and you feel alone. Maybe your marriage is in shambles. I've experienced that too. Maybe you've tried to reach out before, but you're afraid because you're afraid you're going to be hurt. Maybe you're facing a diagnosis that you didn't know you were going to face. Maybe you're a business person feeling pulled in a thousand different directions and you know, I just can't handle it on my own. And maybe you don't know how that connects to your relationship here at church and I'm telling you it does. And you can't go do all the things you all do without divine help. So I want to invite you today to move out of where you are to where God wants you to be. So I, I just want to pray for you. Y'all will close your eyes. Father, I just lift before you our hearts and the hearts in this room. And we just give you permission to touch the places in our heart that are tender, where we're confused, where we're alone. Maybe where we just haven't ever even met you. And we invite you, Jesus, to come and take your place in our hearts again. To come and take your place in our hearts and to help us. Help us navigate the cultural storms, the storms of life. Everything that wants to come and keep us from drawing near to you. From putting our face before you. For being in your word and knowing you. And therefore knowing ourselves. From all the cares that pull us and toss us. Lord, and for the places, the hearts that are alone, that are grieving, that are longing, or that are just lonely in, in their own thoughts, in depression, in struggles, facing great circumstance. I thank you that we are not alone. I thank you that you are here with us, that you come alongside us, that you provide for us, that you bring people alongside to pull us out. And Holy Spirit, would you give us strength to reach out in our weakness and would you give us strength to reach out in our strength? I'm asking, Father, for divine relationships today in our community. I'm asking that you come alongside where we have great need and minister 
And just in the silence here, would you just give him that care that weighs on you and let him come and take it? We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Worship team is going to lead us in worship and a time of communion. And all are welcome at this table. It doesn't matter what denomination you're from. This is open to you, the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and represented here. And the way it's going to work is we'll stand in a minute. We'll start at the front. We'll just move to the center and come forward and receive the bread and dip it in the juice. And then our ministry team is going to be here. And I love our ministry team. There isn't a thing that they haven't faced. And let them pray for you. Take the moment to do it. And then you can circle back to your seats. And I just challenge you that as you stand, and you can stand right now, as you stand and you move forward, let this be a sign of moving forward to the body of Christ. Like literally, this is a sign coming forward. I'm moving more towards you in relationship with you, Jesus. And I'm moving more toward you in the relationship with the body. Let that be a sign for you. Amen. You know, this question of who, who am I when I feel all alone? It, it is a question that ultimately has to be answered by every single one of us. And uh, it's interesting how it comes in and out of our lives, whether you're single or married, whether you're young or old. Loneliness is a thing. It is a thing, isn't it, everybody? It is a thing that grips your heart. And uh, until we really discover God in the midst of that aloneness, there will always be this just ache that just never really goes away. You can cover it up with a whole bunch of stuff. And I think that's what we end up doing. You know, we medicate it. We go from one season to another season. And, and we think, if I can just get married, then I won't feel alone. Or, and then you get married, and you can find you're just as alone when you're married. Or if I just have kids, then I won't feel alone. Or if I just have this job, um, if I just have this, these friendships. And it just keeps following you throughout life. You don't really address that, that, that point in, in your own heart that really only God can can fill. And there's just been this psalm that has just been resonating in my heart for a couple weeks here. It's in Psalms 142, verse 1, which says, I cry out to the Lord. I plead for the Lord's mercy. I pour out my complaints before him and tell him all my troubles. How many of you are good at that? Any of you? When I'm overwhelmed, you alone know the way I should turn. Wherever I go, it feels like my enemies have set traps for me. You know, enemies can come in all shapes and forms and sizes, can't they? You know, you can feel like your job is an enemy. You can feel like your flesh is an enemy. You feel like your, um, your family is even an enemy. Just, it just feels like enemies come and go in all different shapes and form, forms. And wherever I go, my enemies have set a trap for me. I look for someone to come and help me, but no one gives me a passing thought. No one will help me. No one cares a bit what happens to me. Then I pray to you, O Lord, and I say, You are my place of refuge. You are all 
I really want in life. And I think that's where we're driven to. And I want to encourage you, even as Cynthia was speaking here this morning, to let God in to those, just that, that lonely place, that, that when you're feeling that sense of aloneness and misunderstood and it feels like people are just forsaking you, bring God into that and let him just do that divine work inside of him. Would you, everybody, stand up to your feet, if you would, please, as we finish here. And I want you just to grab a hold of the person's hand beside you. We talk about this togetherness, and God places us in family. There's, there's, this is, this is well, I'm a part of family, you know, because so much, so many of us come from an extremely dysfunctional blood family, right? And, and you know what I'm talking about? And you don't have to admit it, you might be standing beside of them. Um, but no matter what biological family you come from, God sets us in his family. There's a community of people around you. Maybe you know some of them, maybe you don't. You know, maybe you're exactly like Cynthia um, was when she came into one chapel and you just feel all alone and, and uh, you feel like you've come to a new area and you don't know anybody and you just feel lost. Well, I wouldn't just say, welcome home. There's a place for you. There's a family that wants to come alongside of you and love you and, and be there with you. And so why don't you, would you just take a moment here to pray for the people around you? You, you? you do it, would you? Come on, would you just pray for the people on your left and your right, the people who are standing in front of you and behind you? Father, would you just touch them here today? Father, here on this, what we call Mother's Day, that can be one of those extremely difficult and painful days in the entire calendar, and it can also be a day with, with great rejoicing. It's such a mixed day. Father, would you just do something that only you can do with the people on our left and on our right. God, would you restore? Would you restore it? God, would you restore this moment? Father, would you bring healing and life, purpose, vision um, for this season, for the people on our right and our left? And God, would you, those places of loneliness that are still there in our souls, God, would you fill it with your love? Would you just grab a hold of the people around us here today? Father, we release your life into them. We release your purpose for them to move forward in what you have for them. And we just speak your blessing. Would you just bless the people on your left and your right? Just release blessing. Lord, we release your blessing. We speak blessing on the people around us here today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Thanks again for being here with us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, we want to help. You can find info about groups, teams, and other things happening at onechapel.com welcome. You can subscribe to future messages from One Chapel on your favorite podcast player. And of course, you're invited to services every Sunday morning at 930 and 1130. Have a great week.